Something about Okay, we'll call the uh, meeting of the City Council and Successor Agency for February 6, 2014 to order. Um, if you'd please uh, stand for a moment. And before we do the pledge, I'd like all of us to take just a moment of silence and remembrance of Ralph Kiner, who passed away recently. Ralph spent a number of years in the valley here. He was 91 years old. So let's observe a moment of silence, please. Thank you. I'd like to call upon the former mayor of Desert Hot Springs, Yvonne Parks, to lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance. Thank you. Please place your hand over your heart and repeat with me. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you, Yvonne. Roll call, please, Madam Clerk. Councilmember Roach? Here. Councilmember Hansen? Present. Councilmember Mullaney? Present. Mayor Pro Tem Peabody? Present. Mayor Mertens? Present. Um, go to item number two, approval of the final agenda. Are any changes from council? Yes, Mayor. It, 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 it's become apparent that general business item 7A does not have the full support of the council. And I strongly believe that such a matter such as this, great importance to our city, requires full support of the council. And I therefore respectfully uh, request that the item be pulled from the agenda. Contrary to the belief of some, my only intent in bringing this issue forward was to correct the mistake that was made in the preparation of the ordinance when it was originally went to the voters. That mistake deprived Mr. Mullaney from serving as mayor pro tem last year and as mayor this year. So with that, I would ask the council to approve the final agenda with that exception. Staff, any changes from staff? No. Move to approve. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Record note that there was a uh, unanimous vote with no abstentions. Approval of the meeting minutes for January 16, 2014. Is there a motion to approve? Move approval. Second. Moved and seconded. All in favor? Aye. Aye. About the unanimous approval without any abstentions. And we're doing that now because <laughs> of the new law requires we articulate how each member of the council voted. Um, Proclamations. And I'm going to call upon Councilmember Roach at this time uh, to recognize former mayor of Desert Hot Springs, Yvonne Parks, with a proclamation from our city. Mayor. Uh, I'm not going to read it. Okay. Yvonne, come up here with me. Hi there. Hi there. Um, we have a proclamation for you today. I'm not going to read it. Uh, we all know how um, how all the whereases go, but I do want to congratulate you on your eight years as mayor and several years before that on the council. Uh, I met you when you first came on and have worked with you over the years. Um, we caused a little concern uh, a couple times. 
when we had five women mayors, last year was one, and uh, 2005. 2005, and Yvonne and I both <coughs> were a part of that. No, no, it wasn't 2005. It was no, it was 2008. 2008. 2008. Yeah, because that's right. Um, at any rate, CVAG uh, uh, Executive Committee was an interesting interesting uh, meeting uh, with five women mayors, and it was interesting how the few male mayors reacted to the five of us sitting there uh, making decisions because it, it was so uh, unusual for that to happen. And I would um, just like to tell everyone that uh, from my vantage point, <coughs> Yvonne Parks brought a... Um, a respect to the city of, of Desert Hot Springs uh, after a lot of um, problems had occurred and Yvonne Parks has been the epitome throughout the valley of a mayor who shows up throughout the valley supporting all the other cities and all of the activities of the valley. You're always there. You're still always there. And it says a lot when a public service will give of their time and energy like Yvonne Parks has done over her years of service. So I congratulate you, give you the proclamation on behalf of Mayor uh, Mertens and our city council, and thank you so much for being a part of our community. Thank you so much, Mary and um, council. Mayor, Mayor Pro Tem, uh, this, this is a true honor. Uh, Mary and I have worked together, and twice we were one of uh, five female mayors in this Coachella Valley. But we've been together on many, many committees. We've worked together on CVAG. We've worked together on the um, uh, Sunline Board. We've been together on um, the uh, committees for energy and environment. And anyway, just a, a ton of a ton of uh, things. And I think it's important when you are an elected official that you do represent your city throughout the valley. And that's what I've tried to do. And I've tried to bring uh, a new face to Desert Hot Springs. Um, I didn't win this last election, but uh, I'm still a resident there, and I'm still very supportive of the city, and I still will be for probably the rest of my life. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, all of you, for this wonderful, wonderful uh, proclamation. <laughs> thank you. And good luck on your... Um, I see you pulled... Um, papers to run for the school district in Palm Springs, so yeah, it's, good it's luck a, on that. It's an appointment. Oh, okay. To fill a vacancy until November, so okay. we'll, we'll see. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for your service, Yvonne, and thank you, Mary, for doing that. The reason I asked Mrs. Roach to do that is that she does have the, the work history with uh, Yvonne, and she could bring some personal touches to just those other than just the words on the proclamation. So thank you, Mary, very sure. much for doing that. Uh, before we move into public comments, I, I want to take just a moment and, and apologize to our residents for the tennis ticket fiasco that we experienced on Monday and, and again early on Tuesday. Um, 
it's, it's one of those unfortunate things. Uh, you know, as they say, stuff happens, and, and I want to compliment our staff. I want to compliment our marketing people, Mary, our Nancy, and Michaela. I want to compliment um, our IT person, Nick. And most importantly, I want to compliment somebody who we probably have a real tendency to forget because we can never see her. She sits down at a desk way below the high top out there at the front, and that's Shauna, our receptionist, who fielded most of the calls uh, when people ran into some difficulty. And I want to thank the residents as well. Um, most of you were very civil and very understanding um, and worked through the process uh, through the second day with, with Nancy and Michaela. And I'll guarantee you that uh, when you go out to the tennis uh, in March, you're going to be just blown away with that facility out there. So we look forward to seeing you there. And again, I apologize and thank you for your understanding. With that, we'll move on to public comments. And Bob Mitchell. staff and uh, uh, guests and residents. Um, my name is Bob Mitchell, 74812 Village Center Drive in Indian Wells. Um, Mayor, would you mind if I ask the audience how many got the survey for the, for the uh, pavilion party? Thank you. How many, how many participated in the uh, email survey of the pavilion party? In any event, there was done by email, of, of which I participated for uh, residents onto the um, marvelous party that the City of Indian Wills put on called the Pavilion Party. Um, I do not know if the results of that survey are available or whether they will be available. I would certainly like to know. I talked to the person that was one of the uh, chief architects of it, and she indicated that overwhelmingly positive results of the party. And uh, I definitely agree with that. Um, the party was one of the best, I believe, that the city has ever put on. Uh, the food was uh, outstanding and plentiful. Um, the greeting by the staff and the volunteers uh, at the entryway was exemplary. Um, the valet was top-notch, even though it cost me $5. Um, the golf cart transportation to the pavilion was timely and safe. And I think most of the residents really appreciated the safety value of that. Um, all in all, in my judgment, the uh, event was superb except for the music. And I really would like to address that as the primary point of my article. Um, the demographics of Indian Wells' ages are somewhere between 60 and 70. And I think to have the type of music with the loudness of the amount of the amps would probably melt diamonds. <laughs> Certainly, it would melt my uh, my eardrums. Judy and I had to leave. Uh, we thought the uh, entire concept of going to uh, the pavilion for coffee and uh, uh, dessert is an outstanding idea. And generally, when you when people go to, for coffee and dessert, it's a time for sitting down, relaxing after a nice dinner, and discussing the events uh, that's transpired during dinner. We were unable to do that because the the loudness of the music. May I suggest, please, Council, that we get real here and, and bring the type of music that the demographics of the City of Indian Wells um, is entitled to. And I think if we want to dance, the big band music would be superb. 
we can all dance to big band music. Those who cannot should learn because it would make a very nice atmosphere. It really would. To me, it would lend an atmosphere to coffee and dessert that would be in uh, fitting with the city of Indian Wells. We are a marvelous city. Oh, good. 25 seconds. I'll finish up, Mayor. We're a marvelous city, and I think we believe a lot of, we should have a lot of integrity in our, in our production. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Bob. Uh, Pat Fredericks. Good afternoon. My name is Pat Fredericks. I live at 75375 Painted Desert Drive. And after 11 years as president and 20 years serving on the board, Don Hanoran has chosen to step down from the Rancho Mirage Property Owners Association. He's done a marvelous job, and he's left me these big shoes to fill. Uh, I am here to just let you know that I am the new president of the Rancho Mirage Property Owners Association, and I know that in the past we've had a phenomenal working relationship with the City of Indian Wells and specifically the council, and it is my intent and my hope that we can continue that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And speaking on behalf of the council and the city, I think you can rest assured that we will make every effort to continue that working relationship. It's been great. Um, I composed and, and have drafted a letter to Don in recognition of his service to your community and to Indian Wells in general. So uh, hopefully that will go out pretty soon. And again, thank you, Pat, and thank you, Don, for your service. Denny Booth. Mayor Mertens, City Council members, residents, and visitors. My name is Denny Booth, a resident of Indian Wells for almost 16 years. Since my arrival here, I have become aware of a major problem facing residents of the Coachella Valley, the problem being the drying up of the Salton Sea. During a recent weekend, a number of articles appeared in the Desert Sun newspaper regarding the Salton Sea reminding me of this inevitable problem and the need to start the action now to stop the further drying up of the sea. With the passage of time since my arrival, a new problem has occurred. It was a subsequent stench from the seafloor, sediment being exposed by the evaporation of water from the sea. As an aside, a more descriptive name of the, for the sea today would be the Salt and Stench Sea. With the further evaporation of seawater, the stench problem will only get worse, continuing until the drop in the Salt and Seawater level is reversed. And this would be accomplished, in my opinion, by the pumping of ocean water into the sea from the Gulf of Cortez and when the exposed seafloor sediment is once again covered with water. Today, the cities nearest the Salton Sea are being adversely affected by the smell. It is only a matter of time until the big stench arrives in Indian Wells and the rest of the Coachella Valley.
And when it does, it will have a devastating effect on the Coachella Valley economy, health, and home values, particularly homes in Indian Wells. I'm suggesting that you, the City Council, get active immediately to provide the leadership for the other Valley cities to take action to get water flowing into the Salton Sea as soon as possible, which in turn would keep the big stench from arriving here. It should, it should be noted that the above does not address the increased Salton Sea negative effect on the Coachella Valley air pollution problem, the causing being more and more particulates will be blown into the air from the further exposure of the seabed sediment. Do not let future generations suffer because nothing was done by the City of Indian Wells Council to provide the leadership for the Coachella Valley to get action by county, state, and federal governments to provide the money to build the, uh, the canal and to negotiate a treaty with the Mexican government to get their necessary approval. Granted, this will take much time and effort, but talking and writing about it once in a while will never get it done. Demosthenes James Booth. I will leave a picture of the area which shows the Salton Sea in relationship to the Coachella Lake that used to be exist and which was a far bigger lake. And that uh, all uh, got changed when the Hoover Dam was built. And then you had the Colorado River fiasco and the uh, people uh, that put the fish on the lake that could survive the saline. Thank you, Denny. Um, I can just assure you and other residents that the City Council is moving forward. We are in the <coughs> process of uh, at least initially be signing a letter to CVAG asking and encouraging them to elevate the Salton Sea consideration on their agenda. Uh, so we are cognizant of that and we are moving forward in a, in a way that I think we can be proactive. Um, there being no more public comments, we'll move on to item six, consent calendar. And all matters enlisted on the consent calendar are considered to be routine and will be enacted by one vote. There will be no separate discussion of these items unless members of the city council or audience request that specific items be removed from the consent calendar for separate discussion and action. If you wish to address the City Council, please fill out a blue comment card. And again, the three-minute time limit is customary. Uh, council, any items from the consent calendar? Seeing none, staff? Anyone from the audience? I'd entertain a motion then to... Move approval. Second. All in favor? Aye. The Aye. calendar is approved unanimously with no abstentions. We'll move on to general business. Item 7A having been taken off the agenda, we'll move to 7B. And I'd like to just comment very quickly that we did receive, the Council did receive a communication from uh, Dana Cephas with respect to this um, item. Uh, the Council has had that in its possession and has had the opportunity to consider it for its deliberation. Mr. McCarthy. Thank you. Good afternoon, uh, Honorable Mayor and members of the City Council. For your consideration today is to approve an agreement with vacation rental compliance for the management of our short-term uh, vacation rental program. The, and with no doubt, the popularity of short-term rentals have, has increased in the recent years and has created quite a bit of uh, code compliance and as well as transit occupancy tax collection 
uh, challenges in Indian Wells. To meet the need, uh, City Council in August of 2011 approved Ordinance uh, 653, which established uh, all the requirements regarding vacation rental compliance issues, such as registration, occupancy, parking standards, noise standards, and the like. Today, tax collection is self-reporting, and unfortunately, code compliance is really nothing more than complaint-driven. Staff really wants to get in front of this. Rather than being uh, reactive to uh, compliant-driven complaints, we want to be ahead of it and work with those folks, those management firms who uh, are, are running the vacation rentals and, and work with them to help uh, regarding compliance and collection of tax. To really understand the problem, in the last 90 days, I myself have looked over one, just one website, uh, Vacation Rental by Owner, VRBO, and it, it looked at it weekly. And on average, I see between 120 and 130 homes uh, listed. I looked up today, as a matter of fact, it was 135. Yesterday, it was 136. Today, the city has approximately 16 rentals on the list. 11 of those are managed by management firms and nine individuals. Uh, today, fiscal year to date, we've had tax collections of just over $6,200. One of the things we ran before we realized who vacation rental compliance was, to kind of get an understanding of this and just realize how, how to really implement this program, we reached out to our sister cities, specifically Ranch Mirage, uh, Palm Desert, and La Quinta all who use a firm, Vacation Rental Compliance, to do the work. As you can see there, uh, currently uh, Vacation Rental Compliance works in all the cities of the Coachella Valley, with the exception of Indian Wells and Coachella. Vacation Rental Compliance is a full-service opportunity provider. They do everything from develop the policies and procedures, they identify the properties not only on the website, but by working with the other cities as well. They develop all the forms and permitting processes. And probably one of the most important things that we're looking for is they have really, really good communication and outreach to all these firms. Once these firms, kind of management firms, kind of begin to use the program, they're kind of set. And then, of course, they help us with all our tax uh, t collections as well. Now, they're not receiving the tax. That's our job. But what one of the things they do is they reconcile with what's been rented in the month versus what we've actually received and making sure that there is fair reporting in the market. And of course, all of this is done in a really nice monthly report that we'll get. The, the goal for hiring vacation rental compliance is just there. It, it provides increased tax collections, which are important, but probably as much, and especially in Indian Wells, is really good code compliance. What we're looking for under code compliance is just fewer resident complaints those noise complaints that we get and so on and so forth can really be remediated with good community, good information that's coming out uh, from this firm. The cost of it, uh, vacation rental compliance works on a straight dollary, hourly, uh, dollar rate, $60 an hour. And we anticipate in the remaining months that by March, if we, if we approve this today, by March we'll have a really nice startup for all the registration and so by April, May, we'll kind of start that program. So in the remaining part of this fiscal year, we anticipate roughly $20,000 worth of uh, uh, new collections with about $12,000 worth of expense. 
net new revenue to the city is 8,000. Next year, we'll get the full boat. So next year, we're going to glad glean the entire season. Uh, uh, v, uh, VRC has, has uh, estimated approximately $120,000 uh, in, in new revenues, $28,000 in expenses, netting the city approximately $91,000 in net new revenues. I asked uh, uh, Cindy Gosland to, to attend. She's the owner of Vacation Rental Compliance, and she's here to answer any of your questions. I asked her today, uh, what impact has she made in any city? She said Ranch Mirage, when, when she first started the program, they were running about $50,000 a year in vacation uh, collections. This year, three years later, uh, after an implementing plan, they're making over $300,000 a year. So that's, that's good news from a revenue side. The best news is, is that because they have good code compliance, a lot of citizen complaints are down, and that's what we're really driving for today. So thank you so much for letting me present to you. I'm available for any questions as, as well as Cindy. Patrick. I took the time to read uh, Dana Cephas's communication on this, and actually he raised a couple of very, very important points, I think, and I don't know if my fellow council members would agree, uh, but the first question I have, I, I, you know, agree with Dana from the standpoint, is this something that should have been put out to bid? I read that as well. Um, you know, that, that's an interesting uh, question. I, I actually didn't consider that. Uh, first of all, the fees are so low, and, and all the other cities are using that. So if that's something the council would like, we can certainly see if there are any other firms uh, willing to compete with vacation rental compliance. It is just it it just that it didn't come up in the sense that it was every other city is using them and every other city has has had so much success and the fees are so relatively low in regards to the amount of tax being collected. And the other consideration I had in that is what was the real goal. Transoccupancy tax is great. We'll take it when we can get it. The real goal, I think, is code compliance so that we have an opportunity to uh, have, uh, you know, re fewer resident complaints. So we can certainly look at that for you, and, and um, we can do that for sure. Well, the next question that I have following that, uh, when I read what was given to us, uh, I came away with the idea that uh, this by the fact that every city in the Coachella Valley is using the same company, I have nothing against the company, but it kind of told me that there are not many companies out there like this, and my question to you, is this the only company of its kind that does this for cities? I don't know of another company. I, I, I speculate that there are other companies who would, who would do this work. Um, I, there's one of the things that this is an instance where we have relied on our on our on our sister partners to help us implement what was best, and and in all the cities we contacted, the just the overwhelming success of this one particular firm uh, led us down the road. Well, now, uh, Kevin, I'm going to give you uh, a situational example. You happen to live in Indian Wells. All right. 
you rent out your home maybe for a month or two a year. Who would you prefer to come to you to say that you're not in compliance with the tax that they have to pay? Would you rather the city of Indian Wells or an outside company who, quite honestly, they're going to refer to that outside company as kind of the cop on the block that's chasing bad people for not paying? Right. That, that's an interesting question. What's interesting from the standpoint of the public relations effect it could have on the city as we're fishing for $8,000. Right. Um, you know, it's an interesting question. I think that you would want to consider a cost-benefit. I think in, inherently if we had an internal staff member uh, available to do that work, I, I think that would be best. Uh, they, they can't do that. We can't hire somebody for $12,000 a year. Um, but we did take a lot of that in consideration. So when we looked at, when we spoke with Palm Desert, Ranch Mirage, and, uh, and La Quinta and, and, and their teams, and just to hear the feedback from Cindy, um, the, the cities are, are just so delighted that she's managing this and that she has had very, very con good contact and she has a demeanor about her that, that supports that. So I, I guess I'd answer your, your question by saying um, it would be great to have in-house staff do it. I think from a cost-benefit ratio, I think, we're, I think the best, next best thing is to hire a, an outside firm. A um, couple things. One is, I don't think you answered all of Dana's, Dana's comments. And I think we had talked about yesterday, I would have preferred to see you address the bullet points because it would be a lot easier to see exactly what his comments were versus what the answers are. So at some point, I think that should be done. The other thing is, I read the article in the Coachella in the Desert Sun this morning and no relationship to their contract, but I was curious, do we have an age limit on who can rent a house? Uh, you know, I don't, uh, I'll ask Warren, he, he did the, I don't think so. I know of none. I looked at Chapter 5.20 this morning, uh, and I didn't <laughs> notice any such thing there. Okay, and what's our, what's our registration fee? I don't think we have an established registration fee. I think it's just that you need to register. And there's no fee? I, 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 have, I have the ordinance uh, bill number 2011-04. I, I, I've got some questions too, but I, I, there's some issues here that obviously needs to be addressed uh, as it relates to this ordinance. And this ordinance is the one I assume is applicable to the question of the day, is it not? Uh, it's a two, 2011 ordinance for sure, and I'm going to guess that you're holding that when I looked at the municipal yeah. code itself, but not the separate ordinance, but it was codified. That must be it, and now I'm holding what the community development director handed to me. I bet you it matches. Uh, we have the right under the ordinance to establish a fee that can be established at any time by resolution of the City Council. I'm personally unaware of whether the Council, whether staff has brought forward to the Council a proposed fee since 2011, but uh, the, it's an administrative fee 
equal to the cost of preparation of the form and review of the form and processing it by city staff? I would suggest that this get on the strategic plan sessions because I think we, we don't have answers to these kind of questions and I think we should. So I would suggest that you get with Wade when he gets back and let's put this on the strategic planning. I, I think, I, think uh, I, I agree with you, but I think more importantly, you, you know, there is, there's no reference in our ordinance about vacation rentals, okay? And it talks about short-term rentals versus long-term rentals. It talks about anything under 30 days is a short-term rental, right. okay? Obviously, then anything over 30 days would be a long-term rental. It, 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 it sets forth conditions. Uh, it sets a minimum of three days as a rental period. And, and, and I think what we need to do before we go forward with uh, entering into an agreement, which is not there's no agreement attached here, too, so the council doesn't know what it's entering into other than what is being proposed. We don't have an agreement of any kind here. We don't know whether this is for 10 years or 20 years or what the obligation is. The fee of $12,000 is not $12,000 in perpetuity. It's only $12,000 as a startup or a, a, a this, the balance of this year. It's, it's going to increase in, in subsequent years. So I mean, there's just a lot of unanswered questions here that I don't know how the, I mean, maybe they can. I don't know how the council could go forward mm. to approve this today with all of the unanswered questions, excluding uh, the questions that Mr. Cephas put forth that have not been answered. I, I, I got to say, though, uh, I, I admire uh, the lady that that started this company, uh, having been in the real estate business of, uh, as I have and associated with real estate many years, and this was a void that, that was there that I wish I would have seen because uh, she is filling definitely filling a void as, as a former employee of, of the city of Palm Springs who then on her own initiative went out and created this company uh, to do this, but I think uh, that there are so many unanswered questions here that the council needs to address and then how it relates back to our, our ordinance and then how we then and then what kind how how that company gets the authority to go out and and enforce code violations if you will because uh, I, I don't know I mean you could contract out I guess and part of that contract would be for code enforcement I don't know how that happens but it's, the council's got to understand that. Uh, regarding that issue, which is an important one, and if I can speak to that, uh, they have no authority to issue citations. We have staff who do that. Uh, the sheriff, the police department of the city of Indian Wells can do that. Uh, my understanding is that their service is uh, uh, more preemptive. They would speak with management companies and educate the public about their obligations to comply with the code, and that would be their code enforcement participation, but not citing. But we, we need to understand that before we approve this to go forward and, and how that then is in, in the agreement that sets forth what they're required to do, what the city's required to do. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't know about you guys, but I agree. Eric? 
Um, interesting discussion. Um, I've been around long enough to have heard lots of complaints over the years. I could name uh, several people that are in almost every year on uh, the problem with short-term rentals. Um, from when Coachella Fest started or going back, whatever, I know there's a problem. That, that's number one. We, we have a problem that's not yet addressed. And uh, to me, the bottom line is not the money we're going to make, but is the dealing with the complaints. And I don't know how the complaints are dealt with. And, yeah, there are a lot of questions here, but <clears throat> the number one item that this uh, that your staff report indicates that this company would do for us is development of the policies and procedures for registration and compliance. And we can't do that from the dais, and we, uh, we really can't even do that in our strategic planning. We have to say, okay, is there a need out there? And yes, there is a need. Are other cities addressing it? Yes, they are, and we're not. And we have to protect our residents uh, so that there is not disruption from short-term rentals. The compliance, I think, is, is, is very important, but also uh, the fact that people are getting away without paying uh, the fees that, that should be done. At any rate, I have no problem in doing a <clears throat> um, an amount of money to a company to develop, start the process of developing the processes and procedures, which is what we have to do. Uh, and we need guidance in doing that, and it sounds to me like this company, now I asked myself uh, the other day who owned, uh, who owned the company, and I, I hear from what you're saying that, that she's a former um, employee of Palm Springs. I'm assuming that, they're, that that's correct, but I wanted to know uh, who the company ownership was, where they're located, how they operate, um, how they operate, uh, and where they're where they're operating um, out of. And I'd like to have some understanding of how they deal with the complaints when they come in to stop the complaints from happening. That that's the key. Thank we you. don't we don't. Uh, we, we don't want our residents uh, impacted. How long they've been in business, I don't know how long they've been in business. They're obviously it's, the only one. It, it, Mary, if I may, it, it, it's part of your package. Well, it is there, but it doesn't give names. Uh, it gives it a certain amount. It gives you her name and her address. I, could, I didn't see it, but yeah, maybe it's I'm on, blind. It, it's there. That's how I got the information. I, I just read it. I mean, it's Cindy uh, Goslin and... Uh, and uh, the address is, uh, she's in Rancho Mirage at Dinah Shore Drive. Well, I see the address. I don't see her name. Oh, I see Cindy up here. And it says, as a former employee of the city of Palm Springs, city was assigned to the task to develop the city's first short-term vacation rental registration program. Okay, okay. At any rate, um, those are my comments on it. I would like to see us go forward because we're coming into where um, we are going to have 
short-term rentals uh, coming in in the next month or two, and I would like to start the process. And you're right. I mean, I agree. You're right. We don't have a contract. We don't have anything here. Uh, but it does say it's an hourly rate of $60 an hour, an estimated 40 hours per month for February through June, and that's where they came up with the the 12,000 hours. And whether that include, and that's supposed to include development of um, the policy and procedures, registration, uh, identification of the properties, development of forms and permits. I would hate for us to see, see us put this off because this period of time coming up is the key period of time where I think the short-term rentals will occur. And if we don't start gathering the data and working on it now, then we've almost missed a whole season, and that would be my concern about waiting. Okay. Um, Patrick, you had one comment? Yeah, one quick comment, Kevin, to kind of illustrate the dilemma the five of us are in. Uh, I had a call yesterday. In other words, the topic of what creates a rental. And this is an older gentleman, and he's got somebody that lives in the house with him to share the house, do a little cooking, uh, a little dog and everything like that. And, but he doesn't pay any rent. He, the, the, it's the privilege of living in the house uh, that this gentleman is, quote, collecting. So you know, there's so many questions relative to it, and at least I'll speak for myself. I'm totally uneducated in this area. At some point, I think what we ought to do uh, is put this to rest now, but then maybe get the opportunity to interface uh, and get all of the questions that we might have in mind answered. Sure. And then we could vote logically on it. Uh I mean, okay. Um, if that being that being the case, then why don't we move to direct the, the staff to uh, go back, prepare a, an actual agreement, do the groundwork necessary, and answer the questions before coming back to the city council for approval to spend any money and to go forward with the project. Well, I think to add to that, she she I'm reading again her vacation rental compliance and so on. But this woman obviously has the knowledge and the expertise to take our ordinance and policy, because we yeah. really don't have a policy, and very quickly, my guess, and she certainly can speak for herself, but very quickly could develop, answer the questions that we saw in Dana's comments, but also she can very quickly set up, according to what I see in this book, uh, a compliance and what our policy be and what our ordinance should be. And, and I'm assuming that she could do that very quickly. So uh, maybe you should have her come up or ask her or, or something, Kevin. Uh, absolutely. You can, you can ask She's her right as well. She's right there. Good afternoon, Mayor, City Council members. Uh, my name is Cindy Goslin, and I reside in Rancho Mirage, California. I'm the president of Vacation Rental Compliance. Um, just to give you a little background, we've been in business for, gosh, almost two years now. Um, I do a uh, contract with every city um, in the Valley. I just picked up Palm Springs after being an employee last month. So um, I'm uh, running the program for everybody. Kind of what 
what I like to do when I come in and, and looking at what Indian Wells has already done, the first five weeks of the program, I would sit here with staff and design changes to the ordinance and outline things and define things that need to be done. For instance, the age limit, the fee, there should be a registration fee. Um, we want to, our goal is to put together a database of all these properties, all of them, so that when we set up a hotline service, which if you read, all the other cities are doing here in the Valley, we have a 24-hour hotline service. Residents know about it, and they have the opportunity to call that instead of calling the police and say, hey, you know, um, the hotline service answers the phone. They contact this emergency contact person, either the management company or the individual, because a lot of these people we're going to bring in here are going to be people that are not running through management companies. They're out there on their own doing their own thing. They have 45 minutes to comply and get, take care of the problem happening at the address or a citation is issued. Now, I'm overseeing the citation decisions in some of the cities, not all of them, but I do not write citations. I communicate with code compliance. I communicate with them when we have an individual who refuses to comply with the city and register. I pass that on to code. And when we have a, a problem property where all of a sudden citations are building up and code and I work together via email to see who, you know, do the uh, citation process. So that's in essence what I do. I come in and kind of help put the whole program together. I don't just come in and start registering properties. Um, I like to spend the first four or five weeks, and I told Kevin this, we, I do two things in, in sync. I start identifying properties so when the launch date happens, which we were hoping was March 1st because I know festival season's here, um, we already have identified I'm just the fact that I work in the Valley, I've already identified a lot of stuff for you guys because I'm, I'm working a lot in La Quinta and there's a, there's a lot of crossover here, so especially in management companies. Um, there are a lot of little management companies spread out in the Valley that, that have four or five homes and they just don't know they're supposed to be, you know, get a business license and register their properties. So that's kind of, we kind of start working on that while working with staff to put together a program. You know, the, the registration process, the fees, and, and all that, um, the paperwork administrative side of the ordinance. So, and then, then we'd like launch on March 1st and start registration. Um, it's a little late, but um, we should start seeing quite a few registrations coming in in May, I would think. And by next year, you're going to have a very nice database of homes. Um, currently at La Quinta, I started with them about a year ago, we're up to uh, 740 homes registered in La Quinta. Um, in Rancho Mirage, after three years, we're, we have about 350. It's just not as big a base as La Quinta. Um, but uh, Palm Springs, where I started, when I started, we were doing $25,000 a year um, in vacation rentals, and this year they're going to be doing 700000 in TOT. Just, and that's just individual homes, not management companies. That's just the 570 individual homes that are registered there. Palm Desert, I know, was up over 100% last year. I didn't get the exact numbers, but um, this is a program that continually builds, and you will see every year that the revenue will, it will increase 10% at minimum every year. And even Cathedral City, who, when we started, we thought, no, maybe we'll get 100 homes. We just registered our 206th home in one year in Cathedral City. Um, and the TOT is up quite a bit. I, the first four months, we were surprised at how much it was up. So. It, not just the TOT, but the biggest, the biggest um, benefit I see of this program, and I, I especially saw it in Rancho Mirage, we had an area called Mirage, I think it was a Mirage Cove, up in the Cove area there where there were a lot, a lot of problems. There are no problems there now. That hotline service, the fining, 
making these people educate renters when they come in, giving rules to these rentals is the best way to go. And that's why, that's the purpose of this ordinance, is to give them rules, collect the TOT, but to give them rules where they have to, you know, be good neighbors to the rest of us that are full-time residents. So. Thank you very much, Cindy. Appreciate your Welcome. comments. Um, I do have a blue slip from Mr. Elchek for this matter. Andy Elchek, Mayor, Mayor Pro Tem, Council Members. Uh, obviously, we've got a lot of work to do on this, and I think you've asked all the right questions, and we need to proceed. I just couldn't help, but Kevin said that the fees were very low, and being an old commission salesman, I'm looking at that, that doesn't look low to me. Talking about 30% of, of revenues, depending on which number you want to deal with. Uh, obviously, if we're going to make, we're going to pay $12,000 to make eight, I don't call that cheap. If you're going to make, if you're going to pay 28 to make 91, or even if you do it on the 120, if you do math, any way you look at it, you're in the 20, 25, 30% range. Uh, hopefully, she'll be able to increase the amount of homes and, and the percentage number will drop. But right now, if you're selling real estate, you'd love to make 20% or 30% on a sale. That's what we're looking at here. Thanks. Thank you, Mr. Elchek. Um, but what I've heard, and my only comment is that I think this potentially fills a significant void that we have in our community. What I'd like to see us do, and if the rest of you agree, is take the suggestion that we take it to strategic planning session, spend just a few minutes there to develop a more cohesive um, expectation from the council for staff to come back at our next meeting with, a, with an actual proposal um, that will address those questions and, and that we can take care of in strategic planning. Well, that, that, I mean, in the interim, uh, Staff can be working with Cindy. Thank uh, you to come up with with all of that. I mean, they, they, can we they, authorize they, even five thousand dollars to get I her going? Uh, <laughs> I didn't go that far, Mary. <laughs> I am. Well, I am. I want her to get going. I. I, uh, I mean, uh, but well, I, I think I, Mr. I don't know what the Mr. Hanson. I think you're absolutely right. And I, I think that rather than. I mean, if, if Ms. Gosselin is interested in, in getting the contract eventually, that's right. Uh, she will, I think, cooperate and meet with staff in the interim. So staff has now, you know, four four days before we meet for um, strategic planning. They could begin that process, meeting with her to begin addressing those questions, come to the strategic planning session with those answers, and then we could develop um, you know, our specific expectations that they can come back at our next meeting with a proposal. Absolutely. Is that satisfactory? Yeah, I mean, I think the end result of this is we we, we, we want to do the program. Mm -hmm. But we, we want to do a program a like pro that. A program. Right. And the things that need to be involved are obviously revision of the ordinance, a decision of whether this, what the fee structure should be, and, and the information from the Desert Sun on Palm Springs was very interesting. And then set the, let her set the criteria for us to just approve. So we ought to be able to do that by the next council meeting, I would believe, because she's already got all the background and experience. It's sort of a no-brainer. So I would suggest we bring this back to the council with exactly what Mr. Hansen said, which is, you know, an agreement, an outline of, the, of what the ordinance should be, and her plan of attack to 
address the issues that we have not addressed. Do we need, though, to authorize a budget for a consulting fee to get us going until it comes back to council in two weeks? Why? That would be the question. I mean, if I'm in her position, I'm doing everything I can to get the business at, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I think that I'm, coming to pay for I'm not going to put her on the spot, but I think Ms. Gosselin has heard the, the feelings of council, the direction and the, the intent that they'd like to move. We'd like to move forward with a, with a program similar to this right. um, so that I, I think that I can't speak for it, but she probably should be willing to sit down with staff, develop those kinds of things that we're talking about. So if, if we can do it, have Mr. McCarthy be sure that this is put a bullet point on the strategic plan and come back at the next meeting fully prepared uh, with a contract and, and all of the, the expectations and recommendations that uh, you've heard here today. Thank you. Right. That's a motion. <laughs> that's, that's a direction. Okay, you got it, Mr. McCarthy? I do. Thank you. Okay, we'll move on then to item 7C. Once again, we'll call upon Mr. McCarthy to discuss the strategic planning update, financial condition. Thank you, Honorable Mayor and members of the City Council. Our next item as we move forward is the strategic planning uh, update, uh, to present to you our financial uh, condition. Getting a, why don't we just kick it right off and talk about general fund revenues and talk about where they come from. Uh, general fund revenues are separated into about 15 categories. Now, we're not going to talk about all 15. I know you've read my staff report, but we will talk about the top four. The first and uh, most important revenue that we collect in the city is transit occupancy tax. Transit occupancy tax accounts for about 44% of all of the general fund revenues. And working with our hotel partners, we have been able to forecast between 2 and 4% for the next two years. And then after 2016, we're, we're uh, projecting a 2% increase. We did, uh, through our, our with working with our hotel partners, we actually reforecast on a monthly basis to actual and uh, do a long-range forecast as much as four times per year Two, year, two times a year uh, minimum. Um, the, the 2014 year-end <coughs> estimate was reduced about, by about $90,000 and has uh, <coughs> incremental uh, going forward through 2015 and 16. Uh, the reason for this reduction is that we haven't seen tourism come back as strong as we originally first thought. Uh, and, there, and that specifically deals with uh, larger groups and even uh, a golf play, tournament play, coming and staying at the hotel and then uh, uh, playing at the Indian Wells Golf Resort. Our next uh, revenue is uh, uh, property taxes. Uh, excuse me, I think I missed one. Yep, I'm sorry. Is admissions taxes. Admissions taxes accounts for about 15% of the revenues, and it is by far our wild child when it comes to revenue growth. It is our largest growing revenue. Uh, this year and the next, we're figuring almost a 10% growth year on year, and it has to really do with all the work that was done at the stadium. The uh, 70, 80, 100 million dollars that was put into the stadium, building the second stadium and things like that. We do uh, eventually uh, um, expect that admissions tax revenues will begin to stabilize approximately once attendance reaches 500,000 people. 
that will occur in, we are now forecasting with our tennis partners at, through the 2016 uh, timeframe. Uh, we will have one tick up. So in, in 2014, our tax rate for all calendar year 2014 events is 9%. That's the admissions tax rate. Beginning in 2015, calendar year 2015, and forevermore, the tax rate will be 10%. So what we're going to have in the 2014 year is about, and traditionally speaking with our hotel, our tennis partners, is about half. Half of the revenues that we actually get in March are for the event, for the 2014 event, and half are really pre-sales for next year's event. And so we're going to have that mix between those March 14 sales at 9% and those March 15 pre-sales at, at 10%. So that's one of the reasons why you're seeing a nice tick up uh, in this year's uh, revenue projections. The next is property taxes. Now, the one thing that we have in Indian Wells probably that is more than anything is the Indian Wells is one of the few states or few cities in the state of California that happens to be a no-low property tax city. And that means we just didn't have an established tax rate at the time Proposition 13 comes into effect. So after all the math and calculations are done, the city of Indian Wells actually receives about five cents on every dollar that Indian Wells taxpayers pay. The remaining 95% goes someplace else. The majority of it goes to the county of Riverside, followed up closely by all the school districts. The nice thing about property tax in Indian Wells, it is really, really steady. It may not grow fast, but it's really steady. We're looking at a 2% increase over the long-range forecast, and it's really, really broad. Excuse me, my button keeps flicking around. And the other thing I would say is when we talk about property tax, we talk about stability. When we look at the top 25 taxpayers in Indian Wells, they only account for 13% of the total tax base. That's not like that in many cities. Many cities who have huge commercial centers and other auto centers and things, God forbid they ever go down, you see this huge discrepancy in tax or falling property tax rates. In Indian Wells, God forbid, if we ever lose a hotel or what have you, you'll see a very, very little change in your property tax. Sales taxes, really, sales taxes account for about 7% of all the general fund revenue base. And they're real, I like to think of them as divided into two sections. One, we have a very, very steady sales tax for our residential component. It doesn't change much year on year. The volatility section of it, though, does occur and, and is based on tourism. So there's a large component of our sales tax base that it has a tourism component. So the way tourism goes, so does sales tax in many areas. And I just put a little note up there to talk about how much we actually receive. So in, in Indian Wells, the sales tax is 8%. In County of Riverside, it's 8%. Indian Wells, like other cities, actually only receives 75% of 1% of the 8%. So even when we have large increases, like we're talking about miles crossing and lodge and those types of opportunities, we don't see that much growth in sales tax. Looking at our general fund expenditures, uh, general fund expenditures are divided out into seven categories. Now, we won't talk about all seven today. We're just going to talk about the top four. But the reason I really wanted to talk about this particular slide is we, when we talk about 2013, 
2013 was that kind of that last year we were kind of fussing with redevelopment. Thank you, Anna. And, and this 2014 year, the year that we're actually in, is what we want, I want you to kind of think of now as the new normal. This is kind of where we're going to be. And so when you look at from 2013, uh, 2014, and 2015, you have a really steady increase, very, very small, about 2.5%, 2.6% growth from there. Once we get to 16, we're going to start growing a little, a little quicker. And we want to talk about this just a wee bit later in the presentation. But the majority of that is an opportunity that we have to increase our capital reserves. So when you look at the actual increment there, most of that, yes, there is growth because of payroll-related costs and so on and so forth, but much of that growth is actually additional contributions we'll be making to our capital reserves. Salaries and benefits by far is our largest component of our expenditures. Salaries uh, com uh, constitute about 30% of all general fund expenses. Uh, it's down significantly from 2012. We were at 41%. So we are trending in the right, project, uh, uh, right way. Um, we expect that salaries and benefits on average will grow about 2.6%. Salaries alone, because uh, we have to continue to negotiate our next uh, MOU with, with the union and things, for budgetary purposes only, uh, please, uh, I've, I've put in a, a, a salary um, change of about 2% per year. We look at retirement savings, and we look at in insurance costs going up between 4 and 5%. And uh, I will tell you that CalPERS uh, 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 medical, uh, we participate with CalPERS with our, with our uh, medical costs, just released uh, 2014 um, rates from premiums. And there were a number of them that increased 31% for CalPERS Select. Well, we don't have any employees in CalPERS Select. And the number of them went down 33%. That was CalPERS uh, uh, ProCare. We have about 17 employees in there. So you're going to see these, these changes in insurance. I'm not going to change the budget. We may glean some savings from this, but I'm not going to change the budget straight away because I want to see what the rates are coming into the 2015 uh, calendar year as well. Our police contract, uh, one of the things here that we do is we, we work with Riverside County for contracted police services. They do a great job for us and second to none by far. We, pro we project on average about a 4% increase and the police is your second largest category of general fund expenditures making up about 24% of the cost. I will uh, bring you out to 2012-2013 where we actually were very level. Uh, th this is kind of a false positive. Uh, police costs did increase about 3.8% during that year. However, we reduced the level of services. So we were at, originally we were at 30 hours a day for patrol, and we've contracted that back to uh, 24. We're not going to reduce that any further, so you're going to see a nice steady growth as we, as we move forward into the year. Professional services uh, constitute about 12%. These are all your professional services. These are uh, all of our accounting services and our engineering services and our legal services provided by Mr. Deich over there. And uh, this, too, is a little misleading. You're seeing a large reduction going into 2014. Well, this portion here constitutes management services that you no longer had. If you remember in 
2013, we had a contracted city attorney, or excuse me, a city manager. We had a contracted public works director, and we had a contracted um, um, community development director. So those positions now have been uh, uh, full-time positions, and we no longer contract uh, for those services. And then you're seeing the uh, savings of that. And the last thing I, I put in there, uh, just for more fun than all, it's only about 4%, but it's all the community activities. So this is what we spend every year for our community. These are all the uh, Memorial Day and the and the, all the all the events that we have and and polo and, and all the kinds of fun things that we do uh, as well. So I wanted you to take a look at that. We do project annual increases in that of a little over 2.2% on average. Some not so much. Some are fixed costs in there and some aren't. But on average, we project growth of uh, about 2.2%. Let's talk, just finishing up our presentation just a, a bit, let's just talk about capital reserves and capital replacements. We all have seen this schedule before. I've kind of presented it to you for a couple of years now. But I think what's important here is, is this first section. So when redevelopment closed, and we kind of foresaw that, had a foreshadowing of that, and of course, obviously it did, um, we realized something. Since the beginning of redevelopment, 1986, when it was born, um, almost all, it's very hard even to find an asset in, in the entire city's infrastructure that wasn't paid for by redevelopment with the exception of City Hall. But most of all the assets that we have have been paid for using redevelopment, bond, uh, re redevelopment proceeds. And we also had a large administrative allocation as well, about 51% of the administrative costs as well. So when, when we were losing that, uh, staff moved straight away and said, well, wait a minute, we no longer have that. We need to set up a sinking fund, a, a, a grandmother's rainy day fund for this purpose. And so what we did was we looked at all of the depreciable assets of all of the city. It was at, at that time, it was about $250 million. And using Caltrans standards and a little bit of history and a little bit of this and a little bit of that, we came up with what I feel is a really good straight line depreciation basis of about $2,765,000 a year. Now, now, certainly this isn't the end-all be-all and we could probably do different valuations and things like that and, and do a more professional study and, and, and improve that number. But for now, this is where we are. So from there, we wanted to set up, because of the loss of redevelopment, we set up these capital replacement funds. We have five of the funds. And at, uh, at the end of, uh, beginning of this fiscal year, we had almost $17 million in the fund. We look at that $17 million creating interest income of over 200000 We have two contributions right now currently slated from the general fund. Uh, $250,000 <coughs> coming in from the general fund for a repayment. We borrowed money out of these funds last year for the uh, $2.5 million naming rights um, opportunity that we took with the tennis gardens. And, uh, and, uh, and then, of course, a $500,000 annual contribution that comes out of our general fund as an expense for this. <laughs> Netted against the depreciation, we come up with an annual, or this year, a shortfall of about $1.8 million. Now, I'm going to show you another slide here, which is really a funding forecast model. And it's not what we're going to do, I, I say that, but I want you to see it 
so that if, if, if you were to take the position, which I don't think you should, but if you were to take the position that you wanted to fully fund this every single year, you obviously get into a place where your, your expenditures begin to exceed your revenues. And the reason I wanted to show you this is if you look at this average in this period of time, the average uh, operational loss is about $820,000. Again, I don't expect you to do this. Please don't. But uh, I just wanted you to get a taste of what that, that's going to be like. W one method that we could talk about, especially during our strategic planning session, and I suggest we do, is come up with something a little bit more modest, where we, where we look at an annualized calculation that, that not only provides uh, the general fund a substantial uh, fund balance to make sure it has enough cash flow to operate, but also provides you emergency reserve, and then the difference being paid here. So if we look at a model like this, or something close to this, we're looking at a pro funding approximately 51% of the annual requirement and coming out an average of about a million uh, four short per year. And it's just an example. It's just to kind of get you started thinking uh, about this process uh, during your uh, strategic plan. And with that, these are your uh, city council issues that we want to discuss during the strategic plan. The first 14 of those have already been approved for you, and we'd like you to consider adding uh, a city council reserve policy review to kind of talk about what, what we just did. And with that, thank you so much for letting me present. I'm available for any questions you have, and certainly all the staff there are as well. Patrick. I got two quick questions, Kevin, and maybe I should let them sit until we get together in the study session. but. If you go to your page 17, you refer to in the emergency operations, the city's preparedness includes a fully equipped emergency operations center for sustained operations. It's a stupid <laughs> question. Where is it? it the EOC is actually uh, on the north side of the fire station. That's kind of just a big empty room. Well, it's, it's pretty <laughs> good. I, I'm not an EOC expert, so I really can't speak to that more than, but, but we, we're, we're, we're prepared, and I know that uh, Mel Windsor, who recently left, forgive me for not knowing as much as I should about it, who recently left, kind of ran the, the EOC, and, and I know worked with the Riverside County Sheriff's Department and the Fire Department certainly to maintain the EOC and, <coughs> and have all that, that kind of stuff done. Well, once, once I was there, I saw barrels of water, but I'll drop that now because it's intriguing. <laughs> now, the other thing I wanted to bring to your attention, if in your chart, where basically the general fund summary, and you go down into revenues and sources, subtotals, salaries and benefits, well, when you get down to item number 17, training, uh, which page is that, Mr. Where are you? Where are you, Patrick? This would be page one, 173. 173. Okay. Detachment 1. Do you, uh, have, do you have that on the screen? I, I don't have the, the, this cash flow on the screen, no. Okay, well, it's a simple question, and you must know the answer to this one. It's not nearly as technical as rental properties. Uh, you have... Uh, Fairly large size expenditures, uh, first two entries, and then it flattens out to 30,000 
310. Are we stopping training or? Uh, we're not. You know, that, that's an interesting catch. I, I'm, not avail I'm not able to answer that to you straight away. There may, there may be, it almost looks to me like there's an, an allocation between office expense and training. I know they didn't flip like that. So I, there may be a, more of a formula issue than it is a, uh, a training issue. The training budgets have not changed since you originally adopted your budget. Thank you. I mean, yeah. Any other questions at this time? Uh, go, go back, uh, Kevin. I, I think I think it's important to point out. Uh, like you go go back to the uh, your your uh, capital reserve fund. Oh, slide. You know, I, I, I think it's important for our residents to understand that the shortfall is really not a $1.8 million shortfall annually because the $1.8 million or the $2.765 million requirement is based on, on a 60-year life expectancy of all the infrastructure in the city of Indian Wells that would be replaced and knowing very well that that will never happen, okay? Uh, you're not going to replace every street on a, some program schedule. Uh, you're not going to rebuild this building. You're not, you're not going to rebuild the maintenance shed. You're not going to rebuild every asset that the city owns. So while it, it's it's nice to, to have some expectation and a plan, all right, because as you said, we no longer have the redevelopment agency fund to rely on. It still would be a misnomer, in my opinion, to leave the impression that this city is going to have to stick away, if you will, $2.7 million every year to replace every asset that the city owns over a 60-year period. Right. I, I'll, make, I'll just make a few comments to that, and then we're, we're good. Uh, uh, some assets are 60 years, some assets are 30 years, some assets are 100 years. Uh, that doesn't change what you've said. And uh, when, you, when you look at it, yeah, we looked at just the depreciable assets. And I, I, think, I think that more to your point, though, I think that's what exactly what we're raising our hand for and asking you to consider at your strategic planning. This this is two years old, and we were we were the, the house is on fire, uh, redevelopment is closing, the sky is falling, right. and, and what do we need to do to prepare for it capital-wise? Because we need to make sure that we maintain our infrastructure. Well, and also the fear at the time is that the state, given the, the, the general fund reserves that we've got, may want to reach in and grab some general fund reserves that were not allocated. So we created an allocation method uh, to replace all of the infrastructure and came up with, with a, a plan whereby we, we had designated those funds for future uses so that the state would not reach in and grab it. But another thing that you and I have talked about re recently, and I, I hope that you bring forth 
in our strategic planning session, one of the reserves that is not part of your presentation today is our unfunded pension liability that we have that we are going to have to start. What I, no, let me restate that. What I would like to see us uh, uh, restate annually so that all of our residents are aware of exactly what our unfunded obligations are, both for OPEB, if we have any, and for the Finch pension fund, as they are. You know, because the Desert Sun just came out with uh, a, a figure, and, uh, and I've had a tremendous amount of questions uh, from our residents about that. Okay. And I think it's something that now that it's, it is becoming uh, the, the people are becoming more aware of that. We need to then be able to address it, highlight it, to see, show the residents exactly how we're dealing with any unfunded obligations that we, that we have. I, but, but this is a good review. And finishing up, excellent review, okay? Thank First you. time it's been done since I've been here. Uh, reading this, you have a, a darn good understanding exactly where this city is. It tells our people we're in pretty good shape here. And, uh, and so I applaud you for the work you've done, the presentation you've made today. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And, and if I may very quickly, and then I'll let other people talk if they have something to comment on. Um, I, too, agree that this is an outstanding report and uh, presentation, Kevin. And I think this gives us a basis to move forward, and I... I really anticipate um, a great discussion at our strategic planning session over this reserve funding policy. This is not unlike a homeowners association. You know, on the homeowners association, you take all your assets and you, you, you look at, and, and we're, we're required every year to have a, a reserve study, <coughs> and you fund them, you look at it 100%, and you say, okay, if we had to fund, a, if, we, if a catastrophe happened, we had to replace every piece of infrastructure that we own, that's your 100% funding. Most associations are, are should be are very comfortable somewhere around the 76 to 80 percent figure and that's kind of what I think we're gonna you know we can start talking about in the strategic planning session where, where do we want to identify as where we'd like to be and that gives us a, a, a process for moving forward on an annual basis after that so I'm, I think that's going to be a great discussion and I look forward to it anybody else any comments very good report Kevin thank you sir thank you Make Kevin. A movement to receive and file and we don't, that, that's fine, right? We don't need to okay. do that. Yeah, thank you. Um, number eight, successor agency. Uh, uh, Mr. Mayor, before we move that, I, I, I know we, we had uh, talked and agreed to adding the, the reserve policy to the strategic plan. I think we ought, to, ought also add the uh, uh, unfunded liability discussion to that as well? Is that, did I hear that? That's, yeah, fine. Okay, that's, that's so we'll add sure. that as well to your plan. And the vacation thing. And the vacation rental compliance so you have some more well. bullet points for that. Good. Um, item number eight, successor agency. Adopt resolution approving recognized obligation payment schedule 14-15A for July through December 31, 2014, and finding this action is exempt under CEQA. Kevin. Uh, thank you. Uh, um, Mr. Chairman and members of the agency board, uh, for your consideration today is a resolution to adopt the uh, ROPS payment schedule for the period 2014-2015A. 
what that really means is uh, this is the, the money that we receive um, uh, approval for from the Department of Finance. Uh, this is just your next six months ROPS period. The period is actually July 1st, 2015 through December uh, 14 through December uh, 14 as well. Um, I'm available for any questions. I know you've done this six times before. Please, thank you very much, and uh, please approve it. Questions? Is there a motion? Move to approve. Second. Moved and seconded. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Let's do a roll call vote, please. Councilmember Roche? Aye. Councilmember Hansen? Aye. Councilmember Mullaney? Aye. Mayor Pro Tem Peabody? Aye. Mayor Mertens? Aye. Motion passes. Uh, city Manager report. Any report, Mr. McCarthy? <laughs> no report. No other matters from staff. No other matters from staff. Thank you. Council members, reports and comments. Mrs. Roach? No report. Mr. Hanson? No report. Wow. Mr. Mullaney? No report. Mr. Peabody? Report. Uh, thank you. Um, can we get the uh, slide up there? This, we're going to do this. Um, Mr. Hanson and I are on the Finance Committee, and we feel the IW is so important, and the Mayor requested that I do this. The view. The view, excuse me. Indian Wells Golf Resort and view. And we feel it's so important that the residents be kept up to date. We developed a strategic plan with Troon, which really commenced effective in full on January 1st. And prior to that, Steve Rosen and his group did all of the things that, that, that it takes to get us to where we now can measure results. So each month, we will give the residents an update report on where we are against the strategic plan. And this is the first report. This is strictly the month of January. Um, and if you want, I can stand up there and point it, but if not, I'll just sit right here. And what we, what we have up there, basically, and we'll start with golf, um, we, we are up in total rounds. But what I refer to is down at the bottom, which is the, uh, let's see if we get this going, is, I'm not very good at this, but the, the plan, this is the five things we set up for golf. Increasing the morning rounds. That actually doesn't take effect till February, so you won't have any report on that. Changing the platinum card and, and the cardholder rounds, you will note that we basically went up in slightly in the rounds, but in the dollars, we went up by 23.8% in that category. The resort rounds, and, and again, I'm going to refer to, we were up 14.1% uh, 14, 14 in resort rounds. And the resident guest rate, we were down slightly in rounds, and, and really slightly, but we were up in dollars collected by 14.1%, excuse me. And the wholesale rounds, as you will note, is dramatically different, up 207. So, and also as, as part of it, the 18 hole was up, but the tournament rounds were down. And when you look at the tournament rounds down, then you look at merchandise, and merchandise is slightly down, 
and it's down because the tournament rounds were down. And really, that is, is, is the major part. If you look at the total rounds, you look at 8,400 versus 81, up 289. You look at total golf fees at 647 versus the prior year, 627. And, and personally, I focus on this year versus last year. We also look at budget, obviously, but it's really important to measure the results versus the plan against this year versus last year. The most exciting, which I think is on the second page, is um, he got it. Is the second page is is really where the real concentrated effort has been put in to have a dramatic result. And I'll point out at the bottom first, the pavilion really started selling in mid-December. So what we've done is we've put we're measuring it right now from January 1st to next December and seeing where we are in, in that result. And if you look at that, we've already booked 23 events with a total revenue of $525,000. It is not unreasonable to expect to take 40% of that as profit. And catering has a tendency to do that. They threw their first big event last week for 300 people in the pavilion and from a standpoint of execution, they actually picked the people up at the Esmeralda in carts, brought them to the to the restaurant to the Inniewells Golf Resort to the front. They checked in, then they were taken by cart up to the pavilion without a hitch, and 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 that's really very very good because that was obviously people's concern. The 300, the only problem they had in the whole event was basically staging the dishes and the silverware and the glassware underwoods. They have what they call a single tank dishwasher. It's not enough to do everything. So what they've done, just by making that correction, glasses and silverware will be done up there and dishes will be transported to the main kitchen. But this is a, a great start and, and uh, by no means is it over. It takes their learning very quickly. It takes six months to a year to book a big event. So. You're going to see this pick up as we go through the process. And, but this, this really is a very good start. The sushi bar, which, which a number of people laughed at, thought it was a crazy idea, has, has actually taken off pretty well so far. And in the first month, they did the 17,000. And if you notice, Monday through Thursday, the average daily sale was 525. And it's only open at night. But on the weekends, it's, it's jumped already to 863. It is working. Would we like even more? Absolutely. And they're promoting towards that. Um, if you move up into the, and I'm only going to cover the average cover because I'm not going to go through that whole upper part, but if you look at that, the total covers were 26,479. The average was $18.36 and versus 23,000. The, the prior year month and a $15 average. Now, if you get down to the revenue, and I think this is where it's really exciting, all four categories are way up in revenue. And if you look at it, the View restaurant, which includes the sushi bar, was up $71,000 or 28.9%. The cafe 
which is which is really a, a new venue now because it's been totally upgraded with a totally different menu uh, and selections. It, it was up 37%. Banquets, and, and that includes the view, and that's a little distorted, but that's 105%. And the beverage carts, which they've added, if you haven't been out there, they've added hot food like hot dogs and, and breakfast items to it. And that is up 27%. So overall revenue for the month was up 38.7% versus last year. And if you look at the, it, the average check is up, and I don't see it there. I guess it's, yeah, it's up at the top on the view. If you look at that, one of their goals was to increase the average check. They have increased the average check by, by basically $3.06. So, so far, we're off to a good start. Are there still issues to resolve? Obviously. But I don't hear the, 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 the number of complaints that I've heard in the past, particularly related to service and food. So I think that we're in the right direction. And obviously the total goal of the council when we accepted this plan was that we wanted the Indian Wells Golf Resort to first break even, which would mean about a half a million dollar savings to the, to the city's general fund with the hope of then generating cash flow going forward. The budget this year calls for about a $200,000 positive cash flow. They still feel they're going to do that. If they did, it would be about a $700,000 swing. So that's my report. Thank you. Thank you. Pardon me? No, I, this was this was this was done by myself and Mr. Hansen and Steve Rosen. We ha we have it. They certainly can post it. I just I asked I, I thank you, Ty. I asked uh, Mr. Peabody to to give us that report because uh, I keep getting questions from a lot of people or how are we doing out there and and I think we owe it to you, the residents, and we owe it to ourselves <laughs> to keep track of that. And I, on a monthly basis, I think it'll be helpful to everybody. So thank you again, Ty. You're welcome. And, um, I have no further reports, so uh, City Attorney. Thank you, Mayor and Council Members. I recommend you recess this open session to a closed session to consider item 12A on the posted agenda. Thank you. We will so adjourn, and from that session, when we reconvene, we will then adjourn to a special strategic planning workshop of the City Council to be held at 1 o'clock p.m. on February 11th at the Indian Wolf Golf Resort in the Celebrity Room. <laughs>